everybody. We are so happy to welcome you to our special lymphedema patient roundtable. We are calling this a compression session because compression is a huge part of the management of lymphedema. And every month you always ask questions about it. So we brought in some special guests to help. But first, I want to introduce you to our regular panelists. They're anything but regular. They're pretty darn spectacular. And by the way, we are so excited that you all decided to give us an hour out of your afternoon and evening, wherever you are based right now. Catherine Rosenberg, for over 30 years, you have been a cancer survivor and thriver and lymphedema patient. Uh, you've got some amazing procedures coming up even this week, and you always bring great insights from the practical patient perspective. Catherine Rosenberg, so glad you're here with us tonight. And then Angela Jones, I wish you could hear us clapping on Zoom. Wouldn't it be so fun? I, now you just have to do jazz hands. So we'll do jazz hands for everybody. Angela Jones, one of my favorite smiles in the world, is a lipolymphedema patient. She makes the healthiest food on earth. She is a health coach and I call her an inspirational speaker because she always inspires me. Angela Jones, it's so awesome to have you here with us. Amanda Sobey is well known in the fitness world and she is a lymphedema patient herself. She has a great way of answering our questions that are often exercise related, but she also is a motivational coach and speaker. So Amanda, we're so glad to have you with us tonight as well. And Karen Ashforth is a certified lymphedema therapist. Whenever we have questions that I get a deer in the headlights look about, because I'm, I'm a marketing person, I'm not a clinician, I always lean on Karen Ashforth, who is brilliant. She has an amazing background in medical devices, in lymphedema therapy. She's an educator and very esteemed in the field. And we thank you, Kat, uh, Karen, for being with us. Jazz hands for you, too. Yes. Kelly Bell veteran fighting lymphedema he's got great news to share tonight about the lymphedema treatment act and we are on the edge of our seats about that and he's just a vocal advocate for the lymphedema community and we always love having him on the panel kelly great to have you here tonight and i'm gonna lean now on my alexa i say my alexa She's not personally my Alexa. Not like, you know, your Alexa, please play something, something in your kitchen. Not that. But I do want to make an announcement that's kind of special and kind of important. Alexa has been on our panel really since almost the beginning. And she has been my right arm and sometimes my left arm too in the marketing department of LymphaPress. As a primary lymphedema patient herself, she knows this topic, she lives this topic, and she always adds great insights to the panel. And so, starting tonight, I'm gonna to be retreating, I know, it's hard to believe, I'm gonna be retreating a little bit in the background and let Alexa take more of a lead in moderating tonight's uh, episode and the forthcoming ones. So, everybody, wish Alexa well in chat feel free to let us know who you are in chat and we have jazz hands for Alexa who is going to introduce our esteemed guests tonight take it away Alexa thank you so much Brenda hi everybody so as Brenda mentioned at the top of the show this is a special compression session night 
So in honor of that, we have special guests from Sigvaris here. Sigvaris specializes in graduated medical compression garments, such as socks, stockings, hosiery, inelastic wraps, and they serve patients with a variety of lymphatic and venous disorders. So we are so fortunate to have them here and to share their expertise. We have Emily Poor, who is the Commercial Director of Lipedema and Lymphedema Strategy. And we have Lindsay Playford, Pretty in Pink, who's going to be our, mark or she is their Marketing Program Coordinator. And they're going to speak to us about different types of compression, how it works, how compression can benefit you and your patients. So basically, you know, like if you go to a conference, if you don't have a chance to get to a conference and you go and talk to the different booths, this is sort of like bringing that to you and getting to ask any questions that you may have about compression in general or Sigvaris in specifics. You know, we're just going to have a really organic conversation here. So bring your compression questions in addition to your regular lymphedema questions. We are so excited to have Emily and Lindsay here tonight. So thank you both for being here. If you want to go on ahead. Awesome. Yeah. I do want to say that we've got some wonderful names that are showing up here. Betty from Pennsylvania and Sherry Brack and Phil Fox and Faye Geiger and Nancy West. All these great names. If I don't mention your name, it doesn't mean that we... Oh, Jen Bill. Kelly Sweetheart is in there and Michelle is in Idaho. And we just love hearing from all of you in chat. And as Alexa said, your questions. So feel free to put them in the Q&A so we can address them. And as Alexa said, take it away. Emily, give us a little snapshot about who you are. Awesome. No, thank you. Thank you for having us. I'm, you know, being on the, the technical side and, and designing compression garments, like it's so important for us to involve patients and clinicians in the design process. And, and that's what we're all about. So doing something like this is just totally within our, within our house. Um, and please do put the questions in the chat. I'm going to give just a little bit of information, but then we would like to talk about anything. Maybe uh, you've had a question or you've had an issue or anything like that. Please put it in the chat. This is, this is really a great time to take care of answering as many of those as we can. Um, I'm going to share my screen just for some visuals as I'm speaking so that we can all know. Um, Let's see here. Oh, there we go. Because I think there's a lot of different types of compression and not everyone knows. And, you know, unless you work in it day in, day out, like we do, maybe you don't need to, but you may have had experience with some of these products and maybe not others. So uh, for the lower body, it's really by clinical indication, right? Your compression garment is gonna be unique to your needs. So it doesn't mean if you're not wearing this that you should, right? You have your unique needs and that's why you're in the compression garment you're in. Um, really the lower body, we have everything from a circular knit or round knit, some people call it, socks and hosiery. Then they make like a stiffer circular knit, inelastic wraps, flat knit, and then custom products. And the differences between these are really how stiff the garment is, is one of the big differences. So if you're on the end with the socks and hosiery, it's a lot less stiff of a garment than if you're in a custom, for example. And it's the same on the upper body, right? You've got a circular knit, we call it like an arm sleeve or a day sleeve. You can have an elastic wrap and customs. And we of course have, you know, pants, gloves, gauntlets, 
and even some inelastic type hand pieces that um, people wear, especially if they're having trouble in the fingers or any type of um, hand edema. Abdominal, head and neck. Of course, if you've got any post-operative um, garments as well, uh, all of that is needed for different types of lymphedema. You know, when we say primary, secondary, is it a cancer diagnosis? Is it, you know, whatever it is, it, lymphedema doesn't choose, you know, where it's going to be. It's not always in the legs or the arms. We also have to think about abdomen, head and neck. Um, and that's something that sometimes gets forgotten. And we wanna make sure people understand that yes, it can happen there and we can try to help. We're supporting your lymphatic system and your vascular system. You guys probably have talked about this, so I won't go in detail, but we want to support both of these systems because they work together. The lymphatic system can't work without vascular and vice versa, and they're both very involved in that lymphedema condition. We're a medical company. I think this is really important to know that we test these products so that we know the level of compression, how stiff they are so that they're containing. That's really important. Um, in my opinion, a medical product that goes through this type of testing is going to be safe for you and efficacious. Um, there's a lot of products that are available online, maybe a no-name brand, and I would just be suspicious of them. Just make sure you know what you're putting on. We want everybody to stay safe and we want it to do its job. There's a couple things people talk about when they talk about compression. So let's just do a little language so we can all speak about it the same way. Um, millimeters of mercury, MMHG, what the heck? Uh, MMHG is how much pressure that product is. So a common thing you'll see is like 20 to 30 MMHG. So that means that in the case of a sock, at the ankle, it's 20 to 30 but it is graduated. So as you move up the leg to the calf, it's half of that. So maybe it's 10 to 15. And then by the time you're at the back of the knee, it's like 20% of that. So when you see 20 to 30, the strongest parts at the ankle, and then you graduate it. So you lose intentionally, lose some of that compression. So it encourages fluid movement up into the core. The other thing is that stiffness. So stiffness is how containing is that product. Some people put on a sock and it's like your body doesn't care. It's just gonna push right through that sock. It's like, I don't even know that you're wearing it. It's because that sock is not stiff enough to be containing. Um, another way of thinking about it that I think is kind of fun is like, is it the fishbowl or is it the water balloon? So if it's the water balloon, the water balloon conforms to the shape of the fluid. So your edema is just pushing out and your product is just conforming to the edema. If you hear a fishbowl, well, I, the, the fishbowl is, uh, is pretty cool, right? Because the fishbowl means that the edema is conforming to the fishbowl, right? So the water conforms to the shape of the fishbowl. And if you're dealing with really strong edema, that's what you want. You want a stiffer product that resists the edema, keeps you reduced if you've already gone through 
the process um, or helps with reduction if you're going through the process. All right. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention before we kind of open it up a bit is we have all these mechanical principles. There are human elements at work. Uh, if you have a product that you can't get on, it's not doing anybody any good. So maybe you should try something different. Um, if you have a product that doesn't allow you to maintain your lifestyle, maybe you should try something else to see if it is better, you know, shaped to you. Because a, a product that you're not using is just, you know, a waste in the drawer. Um, so we, we want you to work with your therapist, um, work with a little trial and error to find a garment that's really gonna do its job and work with your lifestyle. So I have some other slides that I'll bring up if like topics come up, but I'm gonna pop over to the chat and see if there's anything we wanna talk about. Thank you so much, Emily. That's such a good point too, that, you know, living with lymphedema, I think a lot of us patients know the reality is that it's really up to us as patients to be proactive and use our tools to maintain our condition. If we don't use them, then we're not gonna manage our swelling as, as effectively. Um, we did have a question come up in chat from Linda who asked if, um, well, she expressed that she can't find compression pantyhose that are long enough because she's 5'10". Um, she sometimes, uh, she says, sometimes knee highs feel too short, help. Do you guys have any um, sort of recommendations or other options for people who have similar trouble finding something that's a little too short um, but not too long either, <laughs> kind of the Goldilocks of, of uh, compression. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you'd be surprised, right? We're, we come in all shapes and sizes and heights. And, um, we have sizing charts that we put on our product to help people find the right size, because that's usually the issue is size. Uh, but if you have tried on enough pantyhose and you cannot find them, then it may not have anything to do with the size you can wear a custom pantyhose. We offer that. Um, and, and that's an option if you are just shape and size. Thanks, Emily. We um, know that there are questions about compression, but this is not just about compression tonight. If you have questions about your lymph press, bring them. We want to hear them. <laughs> We're into it. And I see that's this true. one question. Do you want to... Um, Take it, Alexa, or introduce it about cellulitis? Sure. So we got a, a question from Kurt. Hi, Kurt. He asked, if you are just recovering from a bout of cellulitis, how long should you wait before using the lymphopress again? And this is a great question for Karen Ashforth, our resident therapist. So um, our my rule of thumb is that um, the infection needs to be under control because using the lymphopress can actually be harmful if you have an active infection. It can make the infection go systemic. You don't want to spread it to the rest of the body. So usually if people are on antibiotics for three full days, we start to see the redness, the heat, the pain, the swelling, all those infection symptoms start to recede. And at that point, then the lymphopress can be really helpful because it can actually help deal with some of the swelling that can occur as a result of the infection. So um, 
three days is not a um, uh, set and fast rule. I think that you need to get a physician to approve this, um, if there, especially if there's something complicated going on. But um, timing is everything. So I would, I would keep, you know, three days or so in mind as a general rule of thumb. That's awesome. I just learned something tonight, too. Thank you. I always learn something every night. And I'm wondering about that same question regarding your compression, cellulitis. Could either of you speak to that? Karen, if you, I would always defer to clinical opinion here. So if I have a patient with cellulitis, I'll encourage them to, to continue to wear their compression garments because cellulitis can just cause out of control swelling. And I think that having local um, compression over the area is helpful. It's a little different than a pump that's pushing it out, um, you know, carrying great amounts. The static compression is a lot gentler. So I think that there's different schools of thought, but um, over the years, what I found is that my patients do best if they continue to use compression, elevate, um, but hold off on pneumatic until the infection's really under control. I think we have a pretty consistent answer from clinicians as well. They generally would like you to wear uh, compression. And if you have like weeping or anything like that, you can do your wound care um, right under the compression, no worries. Before we go to Amanda, I'm so sorry. Okay. Go ahead, Emily. No, um, from a patient's perspective, sorry guys, from a patient's perspective, I always like to recommend uh, sometimes your regular grade compression when you do have an infection might be a little bit tough. So sometimes if you keep some of your older compression that's a little bit looser, but still has its firmness, but it's still very clean, or maybe you resort to maybe a lighter gauge of compression, whether it be um, like exercise pants is always really helpful because I think sometimes when you get a really bad bout, the last thing that you want to do is to drive it through, but compression is very helpful with an infection, keeps things nice and close together to help speed up recovery. Um, but just from a patient's point of view, I found sometimes my regular grade compression sometimes is very uncomfortable. Going down a grade might just be what the doctor ordered. So there's a little tip. And I love compression wraps because even mm. if someone gets elevated swelling during an infection, using those wraps can really adjust to help the patient and can even create a little bit of a reduction during the infection if need be. Awesome. That's and could really we just, for those who might not be aware, could we get like a, a little tiny condensed version of symptoms and signs to look out for with cellulitis so people can kind of know ahead of time before inadvertently, um, you know, doing something to, to hurt themselves. So we know redness is obviously one of them and that kind of can spread. Um, and is heat, heat is another sign and symptom, is that right? Yeah, so this is kind of interesting um, because there's infection and then there's erythema, which is inflammation. And they have exactly the same four signs, which are redness, heat, pain, and swelling. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that erythema, which is a very common thing in chronic venous insufficiency, is usually present on both legs at the same time. And an infection is something that's usually present in one spot. And it 
it grows and changes. In fact, sometimes I'll have my patients take a Sharpie and outline the area of the infection so that if they're not real sure if it's a problem, they can keep track of it. And I've even had patients come into my clinic. Um, we've started treatment. I've said, boy, that looks suspicious. Let's outline that. And then by the end of the treatment, it's gone over the edges. And I've walked them over to ER and said, I think it's you know important for you to have this looked at right now. So erythema is something that is not an infection. It's something that is not harmful, but um, a lot of people get the two confused. So rule of thumb, infection, local area, spreads rapidly, can be fatal, gotta deal with it right away. Erythema, chronic, bilateral, meaning both legs, it's usually in the legs, and um, it's, it's a common symptom of chronic venous insufficiency. That's really interesting. Thank you for that. I didn't know that the two were so similar. Um, we're gonna switch gears back to compression because we got some good compression questions. And Barbara and Kathleen both asked questions that I think can sort of be lumped together. So Barbara wants to know if it's important that you get measured when you get new compression. And related to that, Kathy from Ohio wants to know how long do they last before replacing same with nighttime garments. And when you wash them, do you always have to air dry? So we got some rapid fire kind of bundled compression questions. If you guys right. wanna have at it. Let's do it. So yes, if you're getting new compression, it's best to get measured um, because maybe your measurements have changed and you don't remember what it was like six months ago. Um, so get measured. It takes a second. It, it'll make everything better fit better, more comfortable. Yes, 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 yes. And Emily, you just um, used one of the buzz phrases there, the six months, which answers that's one of those second questions. How long do they last before replacing them? So um, for our products, they're guaranteed for six months, um, but we do recommend along with that six months that you get measured every time, like Emily said things change, our bodies change. So you wanna make sure when you go and get your next pair that everything is as it was. And if it's not, then you'll have the proper measurement. The last thing you wanna do is spend your money and your time getting a new garment and then it doesn't fit. Yeah. And six months is for our company, other companies might have different ones. So just check your back your box or your insert. Um, as far as the washing and drying, that is also kind of brand specific. So our wraps, for example, can be washed and dried in the dryer. Just put them on like the gentle heat, delicate cycle or whatever your dryer says. Um, and that's just fine within that six month time frame. Now, some people don't like to dry it because they feel like it, it lasts longer or, you know, whatever. okay, you're trying to squeeze another couple of weeks out and you want to air dry it, feel free. Um, but you don't have to. Oh, one thing I will say is if you are putting it in the dryer or even in the wash, like put it in one of those laundry bags or one of those little delicate bags and it will last longer <laughs> because your washer and dryer will be beating it up during the whole wash cycle. Go ahead, Catherine. So in terms of the drying of compression garments, um, I've actually always found versus air drying, comparing air drying to putting it in the dryer, that the dryer actually helps to snap it back into its original shape um, versus air drying. The way I look at it is 
when you, if you were to hang a sweater that needed to lay flat, it would stretch the fibers out longer. So sometimes it might be better to put it, I don't ever air dry my compression garments. I actually always throw them in the dryer um, because I find that they snap back to their original shape and they actually do last longer that way. Cool. I, I feel like sometimes air drying, just clothes in general, they get a little cr crispy. I don't know if that's just me, but they get that kind of crispy feeling when it comes out of the dryer. It's softer and more comfortable. I think I'm just lazy. I just want it to go in the dryer. <laughs> True confessions um, at the round table. Amanda, what did you have to say? Um, as you have lymphedema, I guess you kind of get a lot of compression over the years. And in the beginning, it becomes like, oh my goodness, this is a really big investment, which it totally is. But a good tip, always write the date that you got your compression because as you get it that six month mark looks a little dodgy based on how many times you wear it and it's always good to go back and look at the label and then that way you can cycle out the old as you bring in the new and the old necessarily isn't bad you can wear it to the beach you know you can wear it those are the ones that you wear in the garden that you don't really care if you ruin but date your compression you will thank me later <laughs> that is such good oh, advice because I always tell mine based on like the features like okay this has the silk lining behind the knee so I know these are my newer <laughs> ones I know this <laughs> so that is a much uh, more effective <laughs> method thanks Amanda I'm going to take no problem. Yeah, just give me a shout out. If you actually look on custom compression uh, garments, they will actually have the date imprinted on the tag. That is most true. Of them. Um, <laughs> it's on a lot of times it's on, it's actually on the sewn in part. So you've really got to look to see it. But you also have to know that a lot of times compression garments are made in Germany um, and other places. So you need to know how to read the date because of the fact that the dates are written backwards. So for example, like we say June 7th would be 6, 7, and then 22, it would actually say 7, 6, 22. So that is just something to keep in mind, but it does actually tell you on the tag um, so if you do forget to write it down, you can really, you have to look closely, but probably with a magnifying glass, because unfortunately okay. you do stitch the date right onto the stitching, um, with, where the label is, but it is there. <laughs> oh, that's good feedback. That's really good to know. And I can actually think about, maybe we don't want to stitch through that if it makes it hard to see. Yeah. We've got a question from Phil Fox. Hi, Phil. He wants to know if we recommend wearing compression socks at night for sleeping. Now I know as a patient, and I know a lot of us on here too, we wear the nighttime compression because wearing the daytime you know, compression is a little tight and uncomfortable for overnight wear. So I'm sure that the professionals here can speak to that as well, but um, if you'd like to go ahead. That's a really good topic. I'll give you like the, the mechanical answer and then maybe there's clinical thought too. Um, Anything that's inelastic, we feel comfortable at nighttime because what we're trying to do is just contain the like we said, we're, we're being the fishbowl um, and we're not really causing more pressure, right? When you're in a resting position, whether you're sleeping in a chair or sleeping in a bed or whatever, right? Your legs elevated. Uh, but circular in it, it's going to try to keep squeezing. So your 20 to 30 stocking or sock is going to try to keep squeezing. So if you're laying down and all of a sudden, you know, a lot of pressure comes off your leg because it's elevated, that sock doesn't know 
So it's going to keep trying to squeeze. And in most cases, you're going to be fine, but we wouldn't want you to over squeeze in the night and you're oblivious because you're asleep. The other thing is if that sock or hosiery gets pushed down around your ankle, you could accidentally create more of like a tourniquet situation because it is going to keep squeezing. Um, so for those reasons, we would not recommend your circular knit type product at night when you're oblivious, uh, but we're okay with all the inelastic custom product, that type of thing. So I agree with everything that you just said, Emily. And I know that in some countries where um, they don't have access to quilted nighttime garments, um, a lot of patients will wear worn elastic garments that are not super compressive or stretchy, but are at least giving them something at nighttime. And for me, I tell a lot of my patients that unless they really need to, as long as their legs are elevated at nighttime, um, wearing compression isn't always necessary for every single patient. We've got someone who can speak to that, Kelly Bell. <laughs> Would you like to talk about your experience with compression? You're muted. Oh. Sure. Um, not everybody, I don't wear compression and it's not because I don't like it. I like when I first was diagnosed, I wore it all the time. And I noticed that because where I'm damaged centrally, the fluid gets pushed to where my central lymphatics are. And unfortunately, centrally, that's behind all this. It's behind all where all your compression is. And so you're pushing fluid to where my organs are now infected. And what I learned by doing my own labs within four days, that back pressure on my organs has caused, it starts with my kidneys, it goes to my liver and it goes to the, So if you actually have surgery or something in here that's causing your lymphatics and suddenly you're like, man, because you don't feel good. And it hurts. Your abdomen will hurt and everything like that. You will not have success on getting fluid out of your abdomen. Um, I recommend just watch your pumps. And I, if you can get your doctor to jump online and run labs on you, you'll see or just see what's going on. But And then also the breathing aspect. You're also, for me, mine goes all the way up through here. So I actually, when fluid gets pushed and it goes up to my breathing, it affects my breathing at night as well. So just cautionary tale. Hi, Catherine. So to piggyback off of Kelly with um, about the compression. So I have always worn compression, um, including at nighttime. However, in the past, hmm, Kelly, was it like two months? Something like that, that I was told at nighttime, oh. I am absolutely not allowed to use compression right now. I'm actually not allowed to use my lymphopress pump. Um, until I actually have this surgical procedure um, because what was happening is it was actually pushing the fluid up, but my thoracic duct where, where, the, where the fluid from the lymphatic system transfers over into the venous system is completely obstructed. So all it would do was build up in my abdomen and in my chest. So we actually started monitoring my oxygen levels. And when doing that, my oxygen level would drop into the 80s. Then upon stopping my um, co nighttime compression and compression pumping, the, the lowest it would go was about 91, which is m more feasible. Um, but, you know, so e each person is independent to their individual needs 
on whether they can use nighttime compression, what type of compression they can use. And sometimes it changes because I was never knew that I had this central lymphatic issue until February. I've had lymphedema for 32 years and they never knew that my thoracic duct was as obstructed as it was until February. And things can change over time too, right? So I think it's always important to consider what you're feeling right now, as opposed to what you felt, you know, 30 years ago, right? There's oh, another yeah. condition we watch out for. Um, it's uncommon, but it's the most common thing that we want to be careful of is like congestive heart failure. And that's something that changes over time, over the course of your life, right? So if you um, have any congestive heart failure or anything like that, uh, that's something that you don't want to push a whole lot of fluid really fast, right? You overwhelm your organs too. So I think that's really important to, we don't, we don't have one thing going on, right? We're an entire system and our system changes and we have to kind of reevaluate every once in a while. And I know, Lindsay, you want to add something here, but I want to also say, we're not trying to scare anyone. We're talking cellulitis and congestive heart failure. And, you know, most of the time we talk about running to the bathroom and more fun. <laughs> it's always topic. a good thing. <laughs> so please know this. These are important matters that we're raising, but they're not to raise your concerns. We just want you to know what some of the possibilities can be with lymphedema because we care about your health. We don't want to just give you your lympha press and say, have a great life. We are here to walk through it with you. That's why we do these roundtables. We genuinely care about you and your well-being. And we know that there's a bunch more questions in chat, but Lindsay, what did you want to jump in and say? Um, mine wasn't anything scary, I guess, a little bit more in encouragement, I guess, um, kind of off of what everyone just said, which is you know yourself best. And, and no matter where you get your garments or your products from, nobody is going to tell you to go against what your doctor says or to do something that that hurts or feels bad you know so if you if you put something on you go, oh my gosh this doesn't feel right I know myself this doesn't feel right take it off talk to your doctor if they say wear it at night or don't wear it at night you that's what you and, and your provider are for um is is to sort through that so I think it's it's great to be in tune with yourself, especially when you're searching for, you know, the right garment or the right solution. It can, it can be easy to kind of get sucked into what, I just want to find something to help um, and, and be afraid to not do it. Maybe it's supposed to be uncomfortable. It's not. So yeah. if it doesn't feel right, you know yourself, you trust that and that's okay. That's right. Most of the time when you put on compression, it should feel like, Right, that's what it should feel like. Mm -hmm. I don't want to belabor it, but when I was a first newbie to compression, I absolutely hated it. I hated the process of putting it on. It was uncomfortable. It was awkward. There was a transition period that I found as a patient. It took a while for me to understand what felt good and what was too tight. So if for anybody who's new to compression, try not to just hate it immediately, which you will. We all did. <laughs> <laughs> If it, but if it's too tight, it's not right. If it's too loose, it's of no use. 
Um, and again, it could be different products, different measuring, different tactics, just don't give up. And hopefully you have a really awesome fitter or team of people that will be willing to listen with, to you and work with you. But uh, the first initial reaction to compression is, ah, get it off. So, but it, like for me now, I know good compression because well, it's been 20 years after a while, you just, you learn. Everyone, everyone Alexa, Catherine, Angela, Kelly, you know your body and it will change over time. I was just going to say, um, it gets to the point for me where if I'm not wearing my compression, like I'm taking a day off or whatever. And then like, I, I hate it because I'm like, oh my God, my leg feels so dense. I need to get in my pump. I need to get compression on now. <laughs> like taking the days off, they kind of aren't really days off because you kind of suffer for it later. Um, I did want to transition. We're getting lots of great questions and I want to make sure we get to all of them. Um, one of the other toolkits in our lymphedema care boxes is diet and nutrition. And we got a question from someone, an anonymous attendee, who said that they stopped eating sugar. It's been two months now and they noticed their swelling has gone down considerably. Does sugar affect one's lymphedema? I know we've got a lot of people on the panel who can speak to that. Uh, Angela, Kelly, I'm looking at you guys specifically, but anybody want to jump in and talk you about it? You go that? first, Angela. Sugar is an inflammatory and um, I don't eat a lot of sugar because I notice, I feel it in my knees when I eat sugar, but it is an inflammatory and it, it's an, I call it an inflammatory agent, but it, it does cause swelling. It does cause um, a little bit of fluid retention. So I don't think it's a good thing to do. Yeah. You do not need sugar, especially processed. You do not need it. Your body doesn't need it. It's not good for it. And we're already fighting a, an inflammatory disease. <laughs> that system and it's already fighting for us. That's why it's inflamed. You're just adding more to it. So when you take it away, you should see good results. So I know it's hard, those cravings, trust me. I got young men in the house that keep eating pizza and I'm like, ah. Oh. Coming from a nutritionist background as well, um, there's different levels of carbohydrates. All carbohydrates essentially get turned into sugar. You wanna start looking and, and carbohydrates get such a bad rap and I know we're all trained now, I guess, to eat lower carbohydrates, but it's a matter of choosing a healthier version of a carbohydrate. So there's different types of sugars out there. If you really start to research it, the sugars that peak fast, the sugars that really just cause the most inflammation, those are the ones that you want to stay away from. You want to start having long lasting sugars, things that don't spike the blood, that don't cause as much inflammatory response. They also help to curb your cravings. And that way you're not as prone to eating such sugar dense foods. If you actually have a balanced nutritional life cycle, um, you'll be very happy, very content, very full, but sugar is an inflammatory response, but learning to choose a healthier version of that sugar or that carbohydrate will be very much preferred. Go ahead, Catherine. And not only sugar, some other foods can be inflammatory towards certain people as well. So some people can't do dairy or they have to limit the amount of dairy in which they can eat because it does cause an inflammatory response. And in, when I say dairy, it could be certain types of dairy. Like you might be able to handle cheese, but you might not be okay with like a yogurt or eggs. It depends on your bodies. So you do have to really kind of, if you're, if you're thinking that a food is causing an inflammatory response, you kind of have to play around with just 
taking that one food out so that this way you know for sure was it this food and you have to give it like a two and correct me if i'm wrong about a two week time frame to make sure if it's giving you a response or not because of the fact that you know you might have a little you think you might have a reaction but it may not be directly related to that food and you know what a lot of my patients the foods that they crave are the ones that they are sensitive to. Isn't yeah. that a bummer? But I agree with Amanda. If you can stay away from something for a while, then your body kind of loses that craving for it. We actually have um, bacteria in our gut that thrive on sugar. And I tell my patients, if you can stay away from white sugar for you know three, four, five days, it's going to be hard for those days because the bacteria are dying off and they're asking for sugar. But after that, you'll be able to walk by the break room and see those donuts and they're not going to pull you in like they, they used to. Um, can I piggyback off what Catherine's saying? The other thing too is to really pay attention to how you feel. I love apples. I can't eat them anymore. And, and one thing I do know is that just because it's healthy, doesn't mean it's healthy for you. So you have to pay attention to how foods make you feel. And it may take a, an amount of time to figure that out, but it is important to realize that just because it's a cabbage doesn't mean you need to eat it. Um, can I jump on? I do find after doing like nutritional training with a lot of my clients, they're very surprised when I give them a menu that's very similar to what they actually eat, but we take away a lot of the inflammatory responses. When I balance their lifestyle, they have absolutely zero cravings. Once they start getting fed nutritionally um, and you start to balance out those ingredients and you start to understand how nutrition can fuel you for the better, your body stops craving for those little pests to feed the bacteria or to feed what's causing problems. So again, if you really want more information, contact a professional, work with somebody who understands your illness. And it can be a really big game changer. And nutrition doesn't mean that you have to starve. It doesn't mean you have to eat cardboard. It doesn't mean you have to live a bland life. Look at Angela. She's a beautiful sitting image of great food and just so much culture, so much flavor. But once you understand how powerful food can be, um, it really is a game changer. We got some great um, chat things here too. MJ shared to, the, to those of us, um, monk fruit sugar has zero calories and zero glycemic acid and has been a godsend to replace sugar as it is so similar in taste to regular sugar, not super sweet like stevia, which is great because someone else had asked what about things like stevia and sucralose. So if anybody else has their favorite sugar replacements or, uh, you know, quenching those crave cravings, please put those well, in Well, inquiring minds want to know, because I put stevia in everything. Does somebody want to tell me I'm wrong about that? I was going to ask the same question. <laughs> stevia is great, and, and a lot of people do well on it. It For some people, it can be an endocrine disruptor, and for some people, it can cause um, bladder irritation. So, um, you know, there's pros and cons of all of these different um, sweetening things. Um, erythritol and xylitol, which are made from corn and from birch, 
um, have a laxative effect. So if you eat too much of them, you're running to the bathroom. And monk fruit, I think, is probably about the most benign one that I know of. But um, the complaint I get about that is that it takes a lot to, to make it sweet because it is real subtle. So um, go on the internet and educate yourself about all of these things because um, I really want to just agree with everyone that people are individual and we all have different responses. Yeah, Kurt said in the chat, medjool dates, which I know came up in the lipedema roundtable last month. Um, Angelique Charles was singing the praises of dates, putting dates in everything. So that is a great suggestion too. Um, well, to switch gears a little bit again, we've got a question from someone saying that they started using their lymphopress back in February. And then in March, they started to have heartburn and burping. Has this happened to anyone else? And what could be behind that? Yeah. Inquiring minds want to know. And we love that you asked the question, Leela. Leela <laughs> emailed us earlier today. So we're glad we're finally getting to the question. Burping I would be curious. Gas. Yeah. What kind of appliance are you using, Leela? And what is the position that you're in when you use your pump? Are you lying down or are you um, slightly inclined? Because I know a lot of people, um, uh, GERD can be aggravated by lying flat. So you may want to be at a slight incline. Um, you know, I, I have lots of curiosity about how you're using it. And if there's a way that we can find that you can use it that is um, more successful without the heartburn. Yeah, Leslie Keith, who is another wonderful mind in the audience, she says, I wonder if you have a hiatal hernia. And that's an interesting um, yeah, so we always say, if you have anything medically going on, talk to your doctor, because we certainly can't dispense medical advice here. We can say, in general terms, what might be going on here. But I love also, Karen, your questions about how you're seated. Mm -hmm. And if it's ongoing, it may not ever have anything to do with your pump. It could be something else going on. So I definitely agree. Get some medical attention on that one. and. I think that's a good safe way to answer the question. Lisa Burtok, it's hot. It's hot out there. It's hot and muggy and it's those dog days of summer. She wants to know, can she wear shorts when she's pumping with her lymphopress? Now I know what I would answer. All right, but I see you nodding, Karen Ashforth. What do you got to say? So my feeling is, is do what's comfortable. I mean, I know that the recommendation is to wear like pajama bottoms or sweats or something really comfortable. Um, and, but if shorts are comfortable for you, go for it. I would just make sure you do a skin check afterwards and you're good. The one thing to do is if you do have your leg directly into the sleeve, is after you're done, just take a damp cloth and wipe down the inside of the pump sleeve so that this way, in case there was bacteria on your skin, it's not lingering inside your pump sleeve to then, with the next time you use it and you don't have a covering on your leg or arm to make sure that that is gone. Um, Stephanie says, do you think it's safe to fall asleep in bed while using your lymphopress? I will answer this one and I know everyone else will jump in too. I fall asleep all the time when I'm using my lymphopress. It's like a white noise machine. It just feels like a nice massage. I am like out. That's why I do it at night. Um, I know others will like to speak on this too, but it's definitely safe to fall asleep in it. I can say anecdotally anyway. <laughs> 
No disagreement no, from well, any well, of you? I, I can say, I can say <laughs> it depends because my lymphopress pushes the fluid up to my ribs, right? My fluid is still, by that time, the fluid starting to build in my chest. And so I actually have to continue with the breathing exercise to help move it further. And so it really just depends. So if you start having breathing issues, talk to your doctor, but it just depends. Everybody's different. And so I don't fall asleep in it. That's a good just caveat. And also you'll probably wake up because you will likely have to use the restroom after it finishes because it's moving all the fluid and you're going to have to do a little tinkle afterwards. So. <laughs> so for patients who are safe to fall asleep in this, um, who have absolutely no time at all during the day to pump, what a lot of my patients will do is put it on when they go to bed and they'll wake up a couple hours later, slip it off, go use the bathroom and then go back to sleep. And so that's a solution for a lot of my really busy clients. But Kelly, your point is well taken and you need to make sure that um, you're not having to monitor anything like breathing. And um, you know, if you're okay um, during the daytime or if you can take a nap in it, then you should be fine at night. Um, we had a question from an anonymous attendee who's been waiting very patiently for us to get to this. They said, why do I have these scary red patches on my legs where my lymphedema is? Years ago, I asked my therapist and she said it's because of the damaged blood vessels. I feel very uncomfortable while on the beach or at the pool. What do you suggest? I also use a moisturizer on my legs. Anyone experience that too? There's a lot of different things that can cause skin discoloration. And I would actually love to see a picture of them to be able to advise you better. Um, because there's a lot of, we were talking earlier about infection versus erythema. And erythema is something that's pretty ongoing. It's red blotchy on the lower legs. And um, so, uh, you know, there can be other things that can cause redness. So I'm not sure we can actually give specific advice without knowing what it is. Karen, you kind of sparked that question in me because with the erythema, is there any, and it's not for the, the person asking the question as much as me and my curiosity is, can you, is there a um, treatment for erythema or is it just something you deal with? Well, I find that when we're dealing with the swelling, when we're dealing with um, overall systemic inflammation, that it can get better. Okay. Unlike hemosiderin staining, which is pretty much, um, you know, permanent, that's sort of the brownish coloration that a lot of people with, with chronic venous insufficiency get. Okay. Thank well, you. Kelly, we know that you wanted to bring something to all of our attention tonight, which is about the Lymphedema Treatment Act. So I want to throw to you, but also say, Lindsay and Emily, after Kelly, we want to give you a last shot to say anything to encourage the audience. And then we'll do our wrap up where we always just shoot some encouragement out there. So first of all, you've been an amazing audience tonight. We love the chat. We love the questions. Tell us about the Lymphedema Treatment Act, Kelly. Okay, it's perfect not to do this with Sigvarius here, but um, I got an email and tomorrow, Wednesday, July 13th, the Lymphedema Treatment Act will be voted on by the House Energy and Commerce Committee. What that means is you need to contact your congressman and let them know to support it and to get this bill passed. This is a big, big positive thing that's been going on for more than 10 years. 
And so I just want to let you know, you can go to lymphedematreatmentact.org to find your senator, I mean, sorry, your congressman, because it's a specific Congress, your congressman's contact information, and uh, encourage you to call if you can't call email. But just let you know, it's going on tomorrow. And can you let them know again, sorry, the, the website, if you go to lymphedematreatmentact.org, right, people can get the script for letters and, and calls, someone asked, so. Correct, that's it. The lymphedematreatmentact.org, everybody. And Emily and Lindsay, we'd love to hear your parting words as we only have seven minutes left. Where does this hour go? <laughs> I was just I thinking that. <laughs> definitely gone fast um again thank you for having us we we are here to serve patients and clinicians that are making life better and easier and um and compression is one of the things in the toolbox along with mld everything else that you're investing and spending your time on to make it easier and better and uh, we're glad to be part of it it's been our honor to have you. And Lindsay, you are the people person. What do you have to say to the people tonight? Um, a, a really important, it's not really a quote, but a, a statement that I think um, is embodied a lot by this group, but it's important to remember is mindset is everything. And just being here and showing up, you're already fueling your positivity. You're finding community, you're looking for solutions you're setting yourself up for success. So your mindset is everything. And it's, if you have a positive mindset, it's gonna help you conquer whatever comes your way. This is why I keep Lindsay around. She helps. <laughs> Just kidding. Believe Double me, teamwork makes the dream work. I, I so appreciate the diversity of gifts and talents and insights on this panel. and. Uh, let me start with you, Amanda. What's something you've learned or something you'd like to share to close out tonight? Well, that's brutal. I'm first to go. Um, you're not alone. I think, at, especially being a panelist on the Sidema Roundtable, it's just been so nice to just know that there's people out there who care that we're all fighting the same fight, no matter if it's arm lymphedema, leg lymphedema, head, neck, genital, no matter how big or how small, we all matter. So thanks for being here, you guys, and thanks for your questions. And I know that we'll all work together to make a difference. Fantastic. Kelly Bell. Kelly Bell. Um, I would say, um, as I always say, find your peace. You can't fight. I mean, anger is an anchor, and you can't keep your mind straight. So find your peace and join the fight. I mean, nothing's going to change if we sit quietly. Ooh, is that so true? Catherine. Um, piece of advice for me is if you have an idea that you think is going to work for compression for you, don't be afraid to ask because the only bad thing is, is that they're going to say no um, within the company that can't do it. But the best thing is, is that you work with them with their design team and they come up with something that actually does work and actually had that happen about two weeks ago and it was a very huge success. Fantastic. Lindsay, you were enthusiastic over that one. Jazz hands abounded. Wow. Yes, we want to hear wow. from people. That's fantastic advice. Fantastic is right. Angela, Angela, I always sort of sit on the edge of my seat when you're going to say something. So mm -hmm. go for it. I just want to say appreciate yourself. 
no matter what your journey looks like, just appreciate yourself. That is so good. That is so good. We can be so hard on ourselves. I'm going to do a little commercial too. We are able to manage our lymphedema, but you also can manage your thoughts. You are the curator of the space between your ears. And when you have negative thoughts or you're beating up on yourself or you're comparing yourself to others, you're not being your own best friend. We are your friends here and we're happy to support you, but it's very powerful when you appreciate yourself, just like Angela said, and that you, uh, as Lisa just put in chat, love the skin that you're in. Mm, I know we're speaking your language, right, Karen Ashforth? Absolutely. And my advice is stay connected. Stay connected to yourself, to your heart, to other people. Don't go through this alone. Well said. So I'm going to throw the baton to my great partner. We were kidding around that I'm Regis and she's Kelly. Old school. We're kicking it old school. So Kelly, Alexa, why don't you end tonight uh, with your parting words and thank everybody for being with us. Sure. So my parting words is you can't pour from an empty cup. So as important as community is and the fellowship that we've built in the lymphedema community, you have to always make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Like everybody's been stressing also, you really need to make sure that you're comfortable, your health is paramount before you can be there for others in that same way. So always take care of you. Um, you're gonna be compressed for success no matter what, but that way, so. Oh, <laughs> and by the way, what does your shirt say, Alexa? Oh, this is from my, my online store. It's Scott Lymph and it's from my Lymphy Life uh, online store <laughs> if you want more inspiration in between roundtables the lymphy life is alexa's <laughs> blog and website and she offers great information sigvaris people can find you at sigvaris.com can you put that in chat so everybody can uh hit that website what else so much going on we are sending good vibes and prayers Catherine's way she's having a procedure next week and we know she's going to be back and better than ever absolutely our dear friend betty westbrook is on a little bit of a sabbatical and we miss you dearly tonight betty and whenever you want to come back we'd love to have you but we uh we understand everybody needs a break every now and then absolutely mm -hmm. and with that please know we are here every month the second tuesday of every month at 8 p.m eastern standard time or 5 p.m if you're on the west coast like <laughs> i am right now um please join us register for all the roundtables we'd love to hear you and see you and then the third wednesday of every month we do our lipedema patient roundtables and with that i have one less than a minute left so i'm gonna say <laughs> But jazz hands to all of our attendees tonight, all 60 some of you. You are amazing. We appreciate you and we will see you next month. Hey, thank you, Sigvaris. We appreciate you too. Thank Bye. you. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Have a great night. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Lymphedema Patient Roundtable podcast. You can watch the video on TLC. 
the Lymphedema channel on YouTube or on Instagram IGTV at lympha underscore press. For information on the most advanced pneumatic compression therapy in the world, visit lymphapress.com.